So Nick, I'm really glad we had the OBG project to refer to when we made this HS episode. Yeah, you know, and actually I would even go back to say with cholestasis and with so many of our other episodes, the OBG project is like a great place to start to get the quick summary. And then they even have additional reading for us or for our listeners to dive into the topic further. Absolutely. Um, and so if you also are part of their subscription service, OBG First, you can also create your own bookshelf so that you can have your articles to go back to. They'll also send you emails and things like that about the latest journal articles and findings so that you're always up to date on the most recent literature. If you're a chief resident, you can actually get OBG First for absolutely free for one whole year. Head on over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com. Check out the sidebar. There's a link where you can get signed up for OBG First. All right, guys. Welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over, over Coffee. coffee. Today we're going to come back to a series that we left off on a couple weeks back now um, in terms of cardiac disease and pregnancy. So this is now part three, actually, of this series, um, and we're going to talk through some holes in the heart. So Faye, yeah. what are our learning objectives? Well, so we're going to understand the different septal defects and how they can affect pregnancy. So ASD, VSD, all those things. We're going to talk a little bit about how to manage these different septal defects and whether or not, you know, they're repaired or unrepaired in pregnancy, labor, and delivery. And then towards the very end, we'll talk a little bit more about some rare conditions and how they can affect um, someone's pregnancy. So let's jump right in, Nick. Talk to me about um, about ASDs and VSDs. What are okay. they? Yeah, so ASD, atrial septal defect, hole between the atria, BSD, ventricular septal defect, hole between the ventricles. So similar type of thing, just depends on position, but we'll kind of talk about differences between them um, and what to do when they're repaired versus unrepaired. It's helpful to just mention here too, we're going to be talking about some of these conditions through the WHO stratification of cardiac disease in pregnancy. So if you don't remember that, head back over to our first episode on cardiac disease and pregnancy to listen through those one more time or check out the show notes on the website to get a quick refresher. Um, ASDs in terms of repair versus unrepair fall into two different WHO classes. If they're repaired, they fall into the lowest risk WHO class one. And if these patients have no significant residual effects of their repaired ASD, they really don't have much cardiac risk in pregnancy. Unrepaired defects, on the other hand, fall into class two, um, which do have some risk in pregnancy. And really, a lot of this depends on the size of the atrial septal defect. If the defect is small, these are generally uncomplicated and patients tolerate pregnancy well. However, those with unrepaired ASD have risk for supraventricular arrhythmias through pregnancy, like atrial flutter. If there is a hole in the heart where you get a shunt back and forth, right, you can get more fluid on one side where the shunt is being received, that atrium dilates, and that's what predisposes the patient to a, ventricular, a supraventricular arrhythmia. Remember that if there's an ASD as well, or any hole in the heart, DVTs that embolize can travel into the systemic circulation. So you can get a paradoxical embolus, if you remember that word from medical school, that a DVT actually causes a stroke instead. Very fancy term. 
<laughs> if ASDs are large, um, they can be associated with significant pulmonary vascular disease, again, due to that same idea where you get the shunt um, and then back up into the pulmonary system. So if that ASD is large and there is pulmonary vascular disease, pregnancy should be avoided due to high risk of maternal and fetal mortality associated with that pulmonary hypertension. And we will talk a little bit more about pulmonary hypertension um, in our next episode. Great. So Faye, tell me about the ventricles now. Right. So as you said, VSD stands for ventricular septal defect. Again, a hole between the two ventricles of the heart. Um, we're again going to talk about them in repaired versus unrepaired. So in repaired VSD, those are categorized as WHO class 1 which, you know, like you said before, uh, is a class where really there are very low overall maternal cardiac risks. Um, if the VSD is small and there's a shunt ratio of less than 1.7 with normal pulmonary pressure and preserved aerobic function, again, no real increased risk to mom or fetus. And so just to kind of describe that a little bit, if you haven't heard the term shunt ratio before, a shunt ratio basically very briefly is the flow on the pulmonary side just divided by the flow on the systemic side when there is a left to right shunt because there is a back leak of blood from that left side to the right side because your pressure on that left side is going to be stronger than the pressure on the right side, the pulmonary flow will always be more than the systemic flow. In an unrepaired VSD, if there is a large VSD shunt and a history of arrhythmia associated with the shunt, ventricular dysfunction, or pulmonary hypertension, all of these things put um, higher risk of developing some type of cardiovascular complication during the pregnancy. And so these people who get pregnant who have that unrepaired VSD with all of these other issues should be counseled as such. These complications include things like arrhythmia and can be as bad as something like heart failure. And so really, um, you know, these uh, people who become pregnant need to be counseled adequately. And if they continue to choose to become pregnant, then they do need to be surveillance during pregnancy for possible development of pulmonary hypertension. We'll put a little bit um, of a note in here about an atrial ventricular septal defect. So we talked about ASD, which is a hole between the atrium, a VSD, a hole between the, vent the ventricles. An AV septal defect is really, you know, potentially a hole that could connect the atrium to the ventricle, really like right in that middle uh, of all four of those areas in the heart. So for these issues, usually after ASD repair, pregnancy is usually well tolerated. Most of um, these people will be in the WHO class two to three. Um, however, arrhythmias and worsening AV regurg have been described in people who have some type of AV septal defect in the past. All right, so this is kind of you know where we kind of branch out a little bit more um, and talk a little bit about some other conditions in pregnancy. So to kind of hop over to the next thing, which does involve some type of VSD, Nick, can you talk to us a little bit about tetralogy of Fallot? That's a loaded question, Faye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone uh, can talk a little bit about tetralogy of Fallot. <laughs> Well, yeah, so Tetralogy of Flow. Um, sorry for those of you who are listening and having a nightmare about step one way back when, but you probably remember at least when I think Tetralogy of Flow about those mnemonics of trying to remember what the heck this is, right? It was like IHOP, I think, is a popular one. PROV is another popular one. Um, but it's the most common cyanotic congenital heart defects that has, again, as those acronyms imply, four things that are going on. I've never heard these. Oh, I've never well. heard of these acronyms before. I just had to remember all four things. <laughs> all right. So P R O V, and then IHOP is another 
mnemonic that's available too. So the P stands for that right ventricular outflow tract obstruction or pulmonary stenosis as the kind of first thing that's going on. The R concerns right ventricular hypertrophy. The O is for overriding aorta. And then the V is for VSD. So P, pulmonary stenosis. R, right ventricular hypertrophy. O, overriding aorta. V, VSD. Again, they're actually, this sounds like very complicated, right? Like, oh my God, what the heck happened to this heart where all of this stuff is going on? Um, but actually, there's a way to sort of remember how this happens. So the aorta and the pulmonary trunk are next to each other in the heart, right? The aorta comes from the left ventricle. The pulmonary artery comes from the right ventricle. So imagine for a second if the aorta, for some reason, just became really big and took over the real estate of the pulmonary artery. So in that case, what's going to happen? The aorta, again, is overstepping its bounds. It's going over towards that right ventricle and overriding that area. And because the aorta is kind of being pushy and comes over through that side, it's going to break through that ventricular septum and cause VSD. The pulmonary artery is now really, really small because, again, the aorta has pushed its way over there. And the pulmonic valve, as consequence, with that artery being super small, is also going to be super small. So you end up with that pulmonary stenosis or the right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. And now, because that's such a small area to pump all the way into the lungs, that right ventricle really has to work a lot harder. So you get right ventricular hypertrophy. So in total, it's really just one thing that went wrong in terms of that aorta just being too far over on the side and the division of that pulmonary trunk that causes all the rest of this stuff to go wrong. I hope that's helpful in terms of mechanistically thinking about Tetralogy of Fallot. I used to have um, a pediatrician when I was a medical student kind of facetiously call it the monology of fellow because <laughs> there was he was like, there's really just one thing that went wrong. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. I like that. Um, okay, so now that we've talked through the mechanisms of tetralogy of fellow and again, probably caused a lot of post-traumatic stress from step one studying, um, let's talk about like what the actual clinical implications are for first a repaired tetralogy of flow. When we kind of talk about tetralogy of flow in pregnancy, we want to talk about a repaired tet and an unrepaired tet. So a repaired tet is considered WHO class 2. Generally good outcomes if there are no severe hemodynamic abnormalities before the pregnancy occurred. Complications can include things like an arrhythmia, which happens about 6% of the time, and even heart failure can still happen in about 2% of the time. So really, you know, people who have a repaired TET still definitely need to be counseled about their risk in pregnancy, um, but generally they have better outcomes than people who have an unrepaired TET. Things like fetal complications can still occur, so there is a higher risk for things like premature delivery, small for gestational age, um, just like any fetus of, um, of, a, of a pregnant person who has some type of congenital heart disease. And there also is a risk of recurrent congenital heart disease of any type. So just because the pregnant person has tetralogy of fallot does not mean that their fetus is going to have tetralogy of fallot, but that fetus does have a higher risk of some other type of congenital heart disease. Overall, there's that risk is still pretty small. Um, and then, of course, there's a very small risk of fetal and perinatal mortality, 0.5% and 1.4% respectively. 
Um, remember that there's also a slightly higher risk of 22Q11 microdeletion in the offspring. And approximately 15% of patients with Tetralogy of Fallot and other conal truncal defects actually have that 22Q11 uh, microdeletion and genetic testing should be offered in prenatal in the prenatal setting. These patients still need follow up with cardiology probably about every trimester. And if there is severe pulmonary regurg after that repair of that pulmonary stenosis, then they may even need monthly or bi monthly follow up. In a patient with an unrepaired tetralogy of Fallot, these are considered WHO class 3. And um, as we mentioned in our previous uh, episodes, those who are WHO class 3 pregnancy is usually not recommended. Um, and if they do become pregnant, they would need very close follow-up with cardiology. All right, so Nick, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about some even rarer stuff. So what else do we just want to cover very briefly and let our listeners know about? Yeah. So one thing that you may hear about is Epstein's anomaly. Um, and again, sort of the classic association of Epstein's anomaly is in utero exposure to lithium. There actually was a New England Journal article a couple of years back that demonstrated that the kind of risk of Epstein's anomaly with lithium exposure in utero is much lower than we thought, but that's often a still tested fact um, on the wards. But what is Epstein's anomaly? That's when the tricuspid valve is ending up too low in the right ventricle, and so you get enlargement of the right atrium and basically a non-functioning tricuspid valve. Um, again, if Epstein's anomaly is uncomplicated for patients, pregnancy is usually well-tolerated and falls into the WHO class 2 stratification. But if there's cyanosis for the patient, usually due to a concomitant ASD, um, or presence of heart failure because of this, you should counsel these patients against pregnancy. Um, again, they're very much prone to exacerbation um, of heart failure in pregnancy. Transposition of the great arteries is also an uncommon one to encounter, but is becoming more common now that surgical therapy is available for TGA. This is when the left side of the heart pumps to the pulmonary artery and the right side of the heart pumps to the aorta. So the aorta and the pulmonary artery are switched. Um, this is not compatible with life because obviously you get two separate circulations in this instead of one continuous right. circulation. Due to surgical techniques now, most folks will have this completely corrected, If particularly if they're coming to see you for pregnancy, they'll obviously have had it corrected at some point. This is usually done through something called an arterial switch procedure, um, and these patients actually tolerate pregnancy pretty well if there's good clinical function pre-pregnancy. There is a higher risk of heart failure and cardiac arrhythmias, and so these patients should have good cardiology follow-up, but again, they actually tolerate pregnancy pretty well status post-repair. So the next one that we'll talk about is Faye's absolute favorite, um, the Fontaine circulation. So I'm going to no, turn it over not. to her. <laughs> All right, so we'll talk a little bit about Fontan circulation and, you know, realize that we are not pediatric surgeons or cardiologists, and so our explanation of this is going to be pretty basic and directed towards the OBGYN. So a Fontan circulation is basically a palliative surgical procedure performed in patients, usually when they're babies, with a functional or anatomic single ventricle. Um, some reasons that patients may need this would be things like being born with a hypoplastic left heart. Um, so essentially, they're they have a single ventricle and that right ventricle becomes their systemic pumping ventricle. Um, they may have something like tricuspid atresia, where in that case, their single ventricle is the left ventricle. They might have pulmonary atresia with an intact ventricular septum, etc. 
what happens is that the surgeon will divert the systemic venous return to the lungs without a pump essentially and it will be driven solely by central venous pressure the single ventricle that the patient does have is pumping blood to the systemic circulation so just to kind of summarize that the venous return to the lungs has no pump and the heart is solely pumping blood to the systemic circulation for this to work, as you can imagine, that person must have a low pulmonary arterial resistance and relatively normal function of that single ventricle because you need to be able to generate enough force behind that pump to get that pressure all the way into the lungs. Prior to pregnancy, those with Fontan circulation should discuss with their cardiologist and have a preconception counseling with maternal fetal medicine because, you know, there are some Fontans that could actually do okay with pregnancy, even though they are pretty high risk. And then there are some Fontans which, who really should not become pregnant. It all depends on their pre-pregnancy function. Those with poor functional capacity, history of heart failure or ventricular function less than 40% or arrhythmias really should not get pregnant due to a very high risk of complication, not just to their babies, but even to themselves. And potentially there could be some question of decreasing the number of years that they have that Fontan. We know that people who have Fontan circulations, while they can live to you know, be 30, 40, 50, at some point it may be necessary um, for them to get a heart transplant because that Fontan will ultimately fail. Complications for those with Fontans during pregnancy include things like arrhythmias, thrombosis, and bleeding events, ventricular dysfunction, and edema. There is an increased risk for spontaneous um, abortion as well as premature birth and fetal growth restriction. And actually, postpartum hemorrhage has been documented in up to 50% of pregnancies in those with Fontan. So very high risk for both the pregnant person and for the baby. Um, and so certainly these people really need to have that preconception consultation. Okay, Nick, so we've talked about all of these um, different lesions that people can have in their hearts. Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, labor and delivery and what that means. You know, obviously we could spend a whole episode about that, but what are just like some key points to take away? Yeah, so a lot of this is going to depend on what exactly the cardiac issue is. Um, and again, thinking about this pre-delivery is really important and sort of the dynamics of the cardiac defect for the intrapartum period. For instance, like with a Fontan circulation, those patients have the single functioning ventricle. They actually kind of get a bonus ventricle during labor and delivery because the uterus is contracting and sort of pushing blood back into the systemic venous circulation at that point. Um, but again, they may decompensate postpartum when they no longer have that little extra push, right? Um, but some patients too also may benefit from fluid restriction or actually extra fluid. Some patients benefit from telemetry intrapartum. Um, some patients should really consider an early epidural because you don't want them to get tachycardic or feel too much pain. Um, or you may need just a better time to sort of control the potential hypotension that results from an epidural. Um, so kind of checklist things to think about should be one, telemetry intrapartum. Do you need it or not? Particularly if they're at higher risk of arrhythmia and considering that into maybe even 24 hours postpartum. Number two, should most cardiac patients I think will benefit from strict ins and outs. Um, and so you should consider that and also consider what your fluid goal is in labor and delivery. Do you want to be fluid up, fluid down, or even? Depending on the severity of the case, again, consider the early epidural, particularly in patients where you need to avoid tachycardia. 
Um, and then finally, vaginal delivery, surprisingly to many folks, is actually not contraindicated for the majority of these patients. But you need to assess it on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and also, in particular, consider the effects of Valsalva and pushing on the cardiac defect itself, because many of these patients may actually benefit from assisted second stage as opposed to a regular pushing second stage. Right. And I will have to say that most of these patients, if they are getting to this stage in pregnancy, they have probably been followed very, very closely by maternal fetal medicine as well as by cardiology. And so there really should be a concrete plan in place for their delivery. Um, so most you know, generalist OBGYNs don't need to be thinking about those things on the labor floor itself. There should hopefully have already been a plan in place very early on. <laughs> All right, Faye. I think that gets us to the end of part three of cardiac disease and pregnancy. Let's summarize. Sure. So we first talked about our septal defects. So we talked about ASD and VSD. And basically for those who have ASD and VSD, if they're repaired, they're usually considered WHO class one, meaning that they usually will tolerate pregnancy pretty well. For those who are unrepaired, they're considered WHO class two. That does put them at a little bit higher of a risk of things like arrhythmias, heart failure, things like that. And certainly you should always assess how the patient was functioning prior to pregnancy before discussing what pregnancy would be like for them. We also talked very briefly about AV um, septal defects as well as how um, pregnancy is tolerated with that. Most patients will be considered WHO class 2 to 3. We next talked about tetralogy of flow, which is the most common cyanotic congenital heart defect. Again, remember one of those acronyms, PROV or IHOP. The easier one for me to remember is PROV. So again, pulmonary stenosis, right ventricular hypertrophy, overriding aorta, and ventricular septal defect. And we talked about sort of the common mechanism of how this happens, where the aorta, again, being the overriding feature, sort of pushes that pulmonary artery over, making it super small. You have the aorta taking over, causing that VSD to, the right ventricle has to work harder to pump through that tiny little um, pulmonary artery, so you get right ventricular hypertrophy. Again, mechanistically, you can just think how that makes things go wrong. Repaired TETs are WHO class 2 and generally have pretty good outcomes, though things to look out for include arrhythmias, heart failure, um, and then fetal complications. And we talked a little bit about that higher risk of the 22Q11 microdeletion in offspring um, and in the patients themselves. Um, they should be followed up by cardiology at least every trimester, if not more often. Unrepaired TET falls into that class 3 in pregnancy is not recommended. If they are pregnant, they need close, close follow-up with cardiology. We then talked about some more rare stuff, things like Epstein's anomaly, as well as transposition of the great arteries and Fontan circulation. So things to take away from that is just to remember that an Epstein's anomaly is when the tricuspid valve is placed too low on that right ventricle, which leads to an enlarged right atrium and a non-functioning tricuspid valve. If uncomplicated, pregnancy is usually well tolerated, um, and those um, patients are usually considered WHO class 2. But if they're a cyanosis, usually due to ASD or heart failure, then really these patients should not be getting pregnant. For those with transposition of the great arteries, all of the patients who are getting pregnant are going to have some type of repair of that transposition because, again, what that means is that um, when they're born with this transposition, there's really no communication between the two um, circulating systems. So basically, your oxygenating blood is not getting from the lungs to your heart. So most people nowadays will have it corrected with a procedure called an arterial switch, um, and they can usually tolerate pregnancy pretty well if there is good clinical function pre-pregnancy. 
again, just like most um, congenital heart diseases, these patients will have a higher risk of heart failure and arrhythmias and should have good cardiology follow-up. Um, we then talk to the Fontan circulation. Again, quickly, it's a palliative surgical procedure that's performed in patients who have a functional or anatomic single ventricle, generally due to something like hypoplastic left or right heart syndrome, tricuspid atresia, or pulmonary atresia. Um, this diverts systemic venous return to the lungs without a pump, totally driven by central venous pressure. So you have a single ventricle pumping blood to the systemic circulation and basically the negative pressure in the lungs pulling blood forward through the pulmonary circulation. Again, patients have to have a low pulmonary arterial resistance for this to work in normal function of that single ventricle. These patients should certainly see MFM for preconception counseling um, because those who have poor functional capacity or heart failure should not be considering pregnancy. Um, and complications during pregnancy are higher, again, for things like arrhythmia, thrombosis, bleeding, ventricular dysfunction. With respect to labor and delivery as well, just general guidance, we offered a couple of checklist items that you should think about when you're thinking through the physiology of cardiac disease and pregnancy. Again, consider whether you need telemetry, intrapartum, and even postpartum. The presence of strict I's and O's is usually a good thing to have for most, if not all, cardiac disease patients. Depending on the severity of disease, you also may consider early epidural and consider vaginal delivery, whether Valsalva is indicated or not in an assisted second stage. All right, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed the episode today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee. And if you want to donate to us, you can go onto our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Give us a donation. We might send you some swag or give you a shout out on the show. You can find show notes for this episode and every single one of our previous episodes on our website, CreogsOverCoffee.com. And if you want to email us with some questions or a correction for this show or any other show, our email is CreogsOverCoffee at gmail.com.